Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, a podcast to help the church read, pray, and interpret sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I'm Chase Kraus. And I'm Ryan Pollock. Let's dive in. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're coming at you live from the studio, the Catholics with Bibles studio at St. Teresa Catholic Church in Austin, Texas. I'm Ryan Pollock. I'm here with my boy, Chase Krause. That was such an exclusive intro, Ryan. How dare you only address boys and girls? (laughs) (laughs) Man, (laughs) what a spicy way to start off the show today, getting into some gender benders. That's right. Um, Hey, everybody, what's up? That derailed me. All right, let's see. I'm here to keep you on your toes. That's you know? great. That's great. I, uh, I, who, whoever you are, dear, dear sister, brethren, sisterin, uh, we're sister. we're happy you're we're happy you're listening La- to the, to the show today. Sure, sure, sure. Oh man, somebody just canceled our podcast. We definitely just got canceled. <laughs> Somewhere. We definitely got canceled. Somewhere. somewhere. Someone canceled us. Uh, Let's see. Happy day after the Immaculate Conception, brother. That's right. Uh, Whatever. This is a fair, yeah? There's nothing terribly important going on today in the church calendar, but we're trucking through Advent. Advent. Yeah. Gaudete Sunday this Sunday. That's right. That's right. That's coming in, coming in hot. Pink candle. For all of your uh, liturgical living needs and hey, plans, we're, we're helping you out here, getting Gosh. you ready. Five and I always, like, we, we really do try to, like make important solemnities and feast days like special or like our sure. patron saint day special. Yep. And like, sometimes you just forget, you know, and you're just like, Oh man, well, I've <laughs> only had two opportunities to do mine now. And it's, it's St. John Henry Newman. So we have to either eat fish and chips oh, nice. or uh, chicken masala, which Hey-o. of course is a classic British dish. <laughs> <laughs> it was perfected amongst the Britons. Right. Yeah. Um, For St. Nick's feast day, Lena's little St. Nick's present was delayed. Um, Amazon, Oh, you get your kids' presents on St. Nick's, Nick's Day. Yeah, little, okay, little, little, right on. There's little gifts in the shoe kind cool. of thing. Cool, I'm into that. Um, and then, uh, but it came late, so Viva was scrambling, so she bought, she bought um, like these like brownies from the H-E-B baked goods sections and like decorated little St. Nick hats on them. <laughs> they didn't so, know what hit them. That's right. Lena, I mean, Lena was very happy. She, she enjoyed the brownie. That's great. That's great. Well, uh, let's see. Stay tuned for, to Catholics with Bibles for more liturgical That's living right. advice. We'll, we'll toss <laughs> that in and brownie tips every now and again. You're welcome. This, uh, this brings us naturally, this is a very natural segue <laughs> to our Greek word of the day here. So we're Wait, going we through our... tell them what letter we're doing. Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, I'm about to. We're, we're on the letter, first letter to the, of St. Paul to the Corinthians today. And, and so the word of the day is anastasis or resurrection. So resurrection coming in at the climax of the letter and kind of putting a nice little bow on everything. The author, it's, as we just said, is St. Paul. Paul. <laughs> yeah. Nobody, nobody, nobody really disagrees with that or yeah. thinks that it's... You get people who quibble here and there with certain bits, like, was yeah. this a later redaction of somebody who Whatever. was editing Paul? But we know that it was Paul himself. Yeah. Later on in the New Testament, we will get into some like more like heated who wrote this arguments. But for this first section, first few books, it's like, meh. Not a whole lot of. No, it's, it's, there's not a lot of contestation here. Date around 55. Is that what you, yeah. is that what you yeah. got in your? Some, somewhere in there. When you when you were in the stacks Paul, pouring over the ancient tomes, yeah, did you find right. anything else? Father Larry stacks. Uh, yeah, no, no, that was basically. It. I mean, basically, he's he's writing uh, while he was in, in Ephesus in Asia Minor, right? So we read that in 
Acts 16.8, right? Or, or sorry, 1 Corinthians 16.8. So. Well, yeah, and in Acts 18, yeah. Paul meets Priscilla and Aquila, who are Corinthians themselves, and that's right. likely where he got hooked up with this whole Corinthian group here of Jewish believers in Jesus. Yeah, so it's probably important that we give a bit of backdrop on Corinth. Yeah, um, what place, kind of a place was Corinth? It was Hoville, USA. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, also, oh, we should make a disclaimer. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Um, this is like... So if you've ever read First Corinthians, um, this is a PG thirteen yeah, episode. Yeah, this is this is if you have little kids in the car. First of all, sorry for the comment I just made. If you have little kids listening in the car, um, but also the, uh, just just to do the letter justice, we do have to talk about more mature um, things. Well, First Corinthians gets a little sensual. We'll be respectful yeah. about it, but still, if you don't want to talk to your kids about certain licentiousness, you yes. might want to yeah get them. Focused on Cocoa Melon or Bluey. That's right. But remember, no Cocoa Melon anymore. Oh, we, yeah. We, no, we get, don't ever watch Cocoa Trash Melon. Trash Truck. Trash uh, Truck is the new, the new show Trash on Trek? Netflix. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. It's called Trash Truck. It's great. It's, it's like not as uh, stimulating as Cocoa Melon. So the colors are more dull. Is it a literal Trash Truck? It's, he's best friends with the Trash Truck. Okay. He's gotcha. literally best friends with the Trash Truck. And so it's the colors are, are dimmer and the cuts don't happen as quickly. And so it's not overstimulating. I'm down uh, for that. Yeah. So you might, if you have little kiddos around, get them hooked on something else for a couple That's of right. minutes here. Form.org, bunch of good stuff. Anyway, um, yeah. So hopefully by this point, you have stopped the podcast if you needed to and come back with kids not listening. Uh, yeah, Corinth was um, like just a typical Greco-Roman city, right? Uh, typical in the sense of super pagan um, and... We have to remember that a lot of pagan cult ritual involved cult prostitutes, temple prostitutes. So there's obviously um, a lot of sexual immorality that they didn't consider immoral. It was kind of just part of this pagan ritual practice. But also what makes Corinth a little bit particular was um, they had these, the, like the, you know, the Olympic Olympic Games, basically the Corinthian. What are they actually called? I, I believe they're Isthmian. Isthmian. But, Isthmian. But, but uh, Olympics is the right analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah for so sure. Every two years they have these Isthmian Games. It's kind of a weird word. Isthmian. It's I S T H, right? Isthmian, I believe so. Um, games and um, okay, modern day Olympics, right? Um, and so with that, um, just like in today's culture, with you know the Super Bowl um, and other sports events, it brings a very rowdy type of individual um to watch the games participate in the games um so yeah licentiousness and sexual immorality rampant um but they didn't consider it immoral yeah yeah so the 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 hookup culture around these events of these big athletic competitions and just the culture at large corinth is uh it's an important cosmopolitan place lots of different cultures mixing together and rubbing elbows um and other parts of their bodies. Yep. (laughs) so uh it's in this kind of context that paul is writing to a church there who like uncritically have, have been taken in by some of these sexual, um, I guess they wouldn't even be novelties, just normal things that right. people in Corinth did back then that Paul's going to be like, hey, look, we have to think about how yeah. we use our bodies here. What are they for? Right. All that stuff. And we have to remember that um, Paul kind of started the church in Corinth, not on a whim, but it, he wasn't there very long. Uh, if you read the book of Acts, he was really only there long enough to, fa- to lay a foundation of a church and then he dipped out, right? So you, you, have to, you have to kind of put yourself in their shoes, historically speaking, where, um, you know, they have been raised in this culture where, um, you know, sexual immorality, once again, they wouldn't consider moral, uh, sexual promiscuity, maybe a better way to say it, uh, was just part of everyday life, right? It, what, there was no taboo on it, really. It was literally how they worshiped the pagan gods. 
Um, it, it reminds me a lot of where we're going in a sure. pretty, in a pretty secu- secular sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, reacting as hard as we can to whatever vestiges of Victorian England we have left in our culture. Sure, right? yeah. yeah. And so you have to kind of put yourself in, and this is a baby church, right? So this is a church that Paul like founded and then dipped out. Um, and then, and so they were trying their best to live as Christians to the best of their abilities, but they also like, didn't know like a whole heck of a lot by this point. Um, and so naturally this leads to confusion. It leads to a lot of infighting within the church. Um, and it leads to a lot of kind of messed up things, which essentially is what the first, you know, third of first Corinthians is about. Um, so if you actually look at the breakdown of the the letter, um, you have the prologue and then the epilogue and the, you know, the very beginning, very end. But within that, you have kind of three major sections here. Um, and one through six, it's basically Paul correcting the Corinthians, right? So Paul heard from Chloe, I think, right? Chloe's people. Chloe, Chloe that, um, about all of the crap that was going down in Corinth. And Paul's like, whoa. So let's just take it chunk by chunk here, bit yeah. by bit, and tell you what's going on. So you got the greetings in chapter one. This is typical of the Pauline corpus, Paul's body of letters here. Paul is an apostle, and the people are called to be saints. He's introducing himself. himself. He loves them very much, et cetera, et cetera. And then he's going to get into this kind of ad hoc mode where he's yeah. like, okay, here's a problem. Here's the theological solution. Here's how we work this out. So the first one that really comes up is division and partisanship yeah. among the people. So you have, and this happens, I mean, we're not done with this. This happens in the church today, right? I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I'm a fan of Cephas. This is my favorite podcast. Yeah. My I, favorite. I like Vigano. I like, you know, Cardinal yeah. Dolan. Sure, I like Pope sure. Francis, right. you know, <laughs> I, I'm a Thomist. I'm an alchemist, right, yeah, whatever. Right. right. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me started (laughs) so that kind of partisanship really distracts people from the fact that whatever other secondary allegiances they have their ultimate one needs to be to jesus and this is not something that uh, christian believers in the church ought to be throwing down about all the time yeah this is this is secondary issues right so our primary concern as a church is spreading the good news of the gospel of jesus christ uh starting amongst ourselves and our children and then out into the greater world um now that's when you find in the weeds, like, what's the best way to do that? Well, this school of thought says this, this school of thought says that. So it's super easy to get caught in the weeds. I do it almost all the time. Um, but this, at the end of the day, um, you know, push comes to shove. We're, you know, it, we're need to be on the same team, right, about spreading the good news of Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection. Yeah, Paul's basic point here is that what, if you're on his team, if you consider yourself part of his faction, he's ultimately not that cool. He's not, yeah. he's not very eloquent. He's not a great speaker. And his message is that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So if you want to win friends and influence people and be popular, Christianity is not going to be a That's great right. fit for you in yeah. any case. And, and Paul's all about cruciformity, right? So it's like, if you want to be on my team, it's going to suck. Like, <laughs> it's going to, it's, it's, it's about you better, the cross. You better pack a lunch if That's you're going right. to be on St. Paul's yeah. team here. So this, the next problem is uh, one of the spicy ones. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have, you have division problems um, and, and then sex problems. So yeah. in, in chapter 5, there's an issue of a man who is uh, sleeping with his father's wife and uh, by all accounts, probably a mother-in-law or some sort of relation, a stepmom, something like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, so Paul wants this person excommunicated for a very specific reason. He says you should deliver him to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit might be saved on the day of the Lord. The idea being that hopefully this period of excommunication will real- get the fellow to realize that this is not how we do things yeah. in the church and hopefully get him to come back. And I think within the Catholic culture, excommunication has this weird connotation as almost like a 
political or like petty thing the popes used to do for like political reasons, which I mean is kind of true. They sure they sometimes we, did. we could probably find some of those yeah. examples. Yeah. Um, but ultimately we have to remember that this is kind of one of the proof texts for the Pope's authority to excommunicate, but always the reason is for repentance and conversion, right? Um, if the Pope would excommunicate somebody, the goal is we're doing this formally so that they can formally repent, right? Because mm-hmm. excommunication also only ever happens in very public situations, right? Yeah, some kind of grave, notorious sin that scandalizes people. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, which is why, like, you hear, like, a lot of kings or, like, emperors being excommunicated and stuff is because they did something publicly scandalous, and so the Pope had to then publicly rebuke them. Yeah. And in the hopes that they then re- re- would repent, it wasn't just merely, like, a power play, even though I'm sure there was some of those. Go uh, Well, go look up the example of Ambrose and Theodosian uh, for really the coolest example of that I can think of of where this happens, where the emperor actually does repent, and it's it's a really great thing. I should know this. Can, so it's, can, the, it's the one where uh, he had like committed some war. He had like purposefully targeted some non-combatants in war just because he was mad at their at their uh, city okay. or whatever. And so the pope made him like parade around the entire town on a chariot and then crawl on his knees to to the altar to Whoa. be to restored to the church. So I forget. Um, do bishops have the authority to excommunicate, or is it just the pope? I actually don't know that off the top of my head. We'll have to look that one up. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I want to say. I want to say maybe. That, I want to say soft, maybe, but I don't. I've never heard. I can only think of examples of popes doing right. It, me too. But I'm not sure if that means because the, the whole key, keys can't. to the kingdom kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But the ministry of priests is is delegated from the the bishops, right? And especially the bishop of Rome. Yeah. But we'll have to look up the old code of canon law and That's get back right. to you That's on that. Right. Um, but anyway, yeah. So we got some incest situation there, and then Paul's like, dude. You better rebuke this fool, not for the sake of rebuking him, but for the sake of correcting him. Yeah, uh, you know? we're, we're not trying to be mean here. We're not trying to be, uh, I don't know, prudish. But this kind of behavior is unacceptable, and the hope is that he will see the errors of his ways and yeah. come back. And Paul's addressing it publicly because everyone knows about it. Right. <laughs> and and apparently they're just all cool with it. They're yeah. like, well, yeah. you know, tomato, tomato, it's, it's right. fine. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he's got to get that yeah. fixed. Uh, then... Right after that, don't sue each other. Oh my gosh. Which uh, I, I feel we need like to bring just, this back. We need to bring this back. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lot of Christians just really don't know. And the point the point is really cool and theological. Like Christians at the end of the age will be responsible for judging angels. So why would you, Christian, take another fellow Christian to some secular judge who has a sort of base understanding of the law and get him to try and decide? Your case, uh, work this stuff out in-house. That's, right. the, that's the idea there. Yeah. Um, marriage and singleness and, and virginity, uh, that cool bit about sanctifying spouses. Yeah, happens so this, there. Is, this is that next section where, so starting in chapter 7 through 14, really, Paul's going to switch from, like, calling people out and, like, bashing heads to rather answering theoretically questions that Chloe's people delivered to him, right? Um, so he's he's answering very specific questions that his community was genuinely concerned about. They were like, yo, Paul, like, help us out here because we're fighting about these. You need to answer these questions, right? Yeah, food problems start in 7 through 11. Yeah, and then um, we talk about marriage and celibacy section, I guess, for a little bit because that's kind of one that yeah, go for it. Sticky. Yeah. Um, why don't you had some stuff you wanted to Well, the, the bit about sanctifying spouses has always yeah. been interesting to me. So if you're a Christian believer who's married to an unbelieving spouse, you ought not to divorce them because there's some sense in which you 
could save through, their soul. Could, could save their soul by saying the ways are pretty obvious. They're behaving and practicing as a Christian in their house. Yeah. Uh, you could lead to a conversion of heart for them or their children. Or, s- salvation has a kind of corporate dimension there. It's always had a corporate yeah. dimension. Well, and, and so for Paul, we have to remember that Paul's hermene- hermeneutic, his, his worldview, is, is on the road to Damascus. It's Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Right. So starting then and from then on, Paul's really going to see everything through the lens of the we body. Are, we are part of the mystical body. Of yeah. Christ, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why he's so adamant on, on being one body by being unified and, and, and all these things. And now, so, now, if the non-believing spouse elects to leave, uh, right. you're, you're not you're not bound to the union anymore. But right. you of your own free will should should decide to stay. Yeah. Yeah. So and this is the section where, where you get into this uh, thing with celibacy and Paul. So um one thing that I wish more of my non-Catholic brothers and sisters would know is that Paul was a celibate. And like, <laughs> you know, um, you think they, you think they don't know that? I think some of them choose to ignore it for the sake of really for bashing priest celibacy. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. you and I both had, had at least a few conversations of like, why would a priest be celibate? That's stupid that we, you know, the new <laughs> Testament says we should be married. They, they're um, going to be, they're going to be really disappointed when they find out about Jesus. Right. Exactly. So <laughs> um, that, that's always my confusion. Like when, when people like non-Catholics bash, like the celibacy of priesthood and like, Oh, that's impossible. Like, Oh, why would you do that? I'm like, dude, literally the two main characters in the new Testament, <laughs> Paul and Jesus were right. like they weren't married right um so anyway this is a really interesting section i think um because paul goes on to say like you know given the choice i think you should be single like me right now one could argue that he he says this because he expects jesus to come back soon right Which he did right he did yeah. Yeah, yeah um but but so paul but paul lived out the rest of his days like he wasn't married um and his reason is, is so that you can focus on things the lord Right. And, and where else beside the church are you going to get any like respect or encouragement towards celibacy in this day and age? I mean, we yeah, really have yeah. a unique opportunity here to lift up the virtues of celibacy and to say, like, if a, compu- a complete and total human life means marriage and family, like Jesus didn't live a complete right. and total human yeah, he, life. He was imperfect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So let's let's get our priorities straight. Gang. Yeah. So um, now, he, now he does go on to say that, um, you know, but for the sake of your flesh, like you can get married if you want to. So we don't want to miss, we don't want to misinterpret that, right? There's been some people, even some early church fathers who take that and basically say, if you get married, it's because you're weak, you know, Um, which I mean, probably for some people that's true. Like I'm probably one of those people. Um, (laughs) I'm a weak sinner. Um, But uh, at the same time, like he, he didn't disregard marriage as something that wasn't good, right? It was a good, and it, I mean, it's, it's one of the greatest goods. Um, but for Paul, we just have to remember that his, his, his eye was on the prize, right? And he was just like, yeah. And that's what he says to the widow. He's like, hey, if you're, if you're widowed, you should probably just like not get remarried. Like yeah. just, you know, but he's like, but if you're young and you feel like you need to like mm-hmm. go for it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so this, I, I encourage you to read, yeah, First Corinthians 7. It's just super interesting, his rationale and his reasoning. Um, and if you want to, a little bit deeper dive, um, then man and woman, he created them. Good old JP two has a big old section on this on this chapter um, where he dives into it. Belonging so. to the larger TOB umbrella, as I, hey. as I just learned, means theology of the body. I That's knew about right. theology of the body, but the acronyms. I'm catching up. Have, here. You, have you read it yet? Uh, 
I haven't read the entire thing, no. It's oh, on my it's man. on my stack of to read lists. We're gonna Catholify you one day. I'm done. <laughs> don't we have don't we have a big TOB character coming here next year? Are we uh, are we April. allowed to, are we allowed to talk about that right now? Uh, yeah, I'm sure Christopher West is gonna come in April. Yeah. I, if, if not, I just said it. So <laughs> whoopsies. <laughs> I didn't right. know if it was a secret or yeah, not. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Yeah, um, we're excited about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And so we, we have him on the, we have him on the books. Very um, cool. So yeah, so it's exciting. But anyway, um, yeah. So next uh, section is about food food problems food. here, which there are some pretty interesting contemporary analogies that we can draw, but one of the issues is that you have these Christians who are going into the marketplace, and in a city like Corinth, you have leftover sacrifices to pagan gods, the food from those sacrifices that was left over being just sold in the marketplace at the right. meat market. So they were, by, by definition, uh, unclean. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and Paul takes a really interesting perspective here. It's, it's. <laughs> I don't want to say it's laissez-faire, but it is pretty much just like, look, everybody, we it, know that idols aren't real and those other right. gods aren't real, but uh, a lot of people, so it's a lot of Christian and Jewish people are going to associate that with uh, worship of, uh, of demons and uh, demonic illicit uh, cultic activity. And so if you find out that it actually belonged to those sacrifices, don't eat it. And if somebody else uh, sees you eating it, like you should stop, you should not eat it. But on the whole, like it's it's neither here nor there. It's not right. a big deal. Yeah, it's funny. So this is like n- not trying to get political at all. Um, but this is like my view with like wearing masks around people, especially when COVID was like, you know, before vaccines. Sure. I was just like, yeah, if somebody wants me to wear a mask, I'll wear a mask. And if they don't care, then I won't wear it. Right. Like, I was just like, meh. I was like, I get it from St. Paul. Very, very Pauline of you. That's yeah. right. Yeah, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry if that just upset somebody's um, sensibilities, but uh, alas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a really interesting section here. And uh, if, if you want to read more about, like, cri- the Christian life and the ethics of food, Food and Faith by Norman uh, Wurzba. Food is a, and Faith, It's a, huh? a great little collection of essays on this kind of stuff. Answering more contemporary problems, like, how should we think about like factory farming and how should we think about oh, sure. berries picked by migrants and how should we yeah. like all of these, yeah. you know, sort of newer it's, food so issues hard. that it's come up. Same. I have a friend who she um, really tried hard to convince me to um, like not to buy fair trade clothing. Yeah. Um, but that crap's expensive. Sure. Like fair trade, especially for kids. Yeah. And I'm just like, I was like, you know, it's so hard. I'm like, don't get me wrong. I, I love what you're doing. I love that you're passionate about this. But like I'm on a budget, dude, and like yeah. I gotta, I gotta make sure my kids have clothes. I, I think that uh, secondhand clothing there is an interesting little loophole. Oh sure. In the system yeah. because yeah. You, none of that money goes to these evil corporations like employing get, wage but, slaves in Argentina. But or then you get into right? the problem of like Goodwill. The owner of Goodwill is kind of just a punk. Like have you ever read stories about him? Mm-mm. No, he it's like a he just he rakes in the dough, man. Um, so that, that's when like so that's, that's my thing. Like every. Every, almost every company that's like some kind of chain, you're going to find some problem with it morally. We right? should we so. should do a whole other uh, global capitalism implications <laughs> episode. That's right. Find day. all the yeah. verses about it. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, we won't, we won't dive into that right so now. So he goes through the food problems there and then liturgical abuses kind of goes into the next section of 11 through 14. So the bits about head coverings and the Lord's Supper. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. This is super interesting, mm-hmm. um, especially the head coverings, especially when you like you get into... Even today, my more rad trad type friends. Um, Still wearing those head coverings. Yeah. I mean, yep. which is fine. It's beautiful tradition. Um, I'm, I'm down for it. No, yeah. So actually, Vive and I talk about that all the time. And, and Vive is in the stance of like, she's like, oh, it's beautiful. And like, she's like, I want to do it. 
she's like, but she doesn't know why she doesn't do it. You know what I'm saying? She um, doesn't. She doesn't know why she doesn't do it. So she, yeah. So she has no excuse not to do it. Is what she says. But she's never bought one. Yeah. And I think if you press her hard enough, it's probably like she just hasn't found one that she thought was pretty enough. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, no, it's a beautiful tradition. Um, but but it's one that's kind of unfortunately died away after Vatican II. That it's kind of finding a resurgence a little bit. I yeah, it just depends on where you go. There's there's some parishes that are way more into it than others. But the basic point around it is that Paul wants his audience here to be mindful of issues of modesty. Like mm-hmm. modesty is a, is a virtue in the ancient world just as much as it is today. Uh, obviously, these standards change over time. What's considered modest in, in one culture uh, versus another is a little bit up for debate there. But the, the, the basic point is we don't want to scandalize the outside world by not appearing to care about issues of, of modesty in this particular issue mm-hmm. here. Uh, the Lord's Supper yeah. also is another big uh, liturgical abuse where you have certain members of the community who are showing up to the agape feast, eating and drinking everything, getting wasted before yeah. the whole assembly arrives. And like the people who were poor and didn't get there in time, going away hungry, which is just a huge yeah. offense here. I, I, I love the, these verses here. I think they're just, they're, they're, they don't convict you. Then you got you to gotta do some soul examining. 1127. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. Yeah. That's why we uh, encourage, well, not encourage, we, uh, what's a stronger word than encourage? We charge folks not to receive the Eucharist in a state of mortal sin. Because you are literally condemning yourself. Yeah. Well, it's sacrilege, right? That's literally what it is. You, you, like Judas, are partaking unworthily of the body and blood of Christ. Yeah, Yeah. and it's so hard because it's like, as as somebody does youth ministry, I'm doing confirmation prep. Like, you know, you you can't force somebody to go to confession. You know, you can't you can't just say get in there right now. Or I mean, you can, but (laughs) (laughs) it probably wouldn't go well. Um, And so, literally, this is sad, but literally every year for confessions or for, for confirmations, like I see all these kids get confirmed and I'm just like, oh, pre- please, baby Jesus, I really hope they went to confession. Yeah, like just, sure, right. Oh, uh, and it's so hard. Even on Sunday masses, like, you know, you're like, oh, please, Lord, I just really hope everybody hears. And, and given the grace. nature of the sacramental seal, there's no, it, it, there's nothing administrative we can do to check up on this sort of thing. No, right? yeah. literally nothing. It's, it's on there. It's on their hands, yeah. on their heads at that point. So uh, let's see. We talked a lot about tongues in the episode of the Acts of the Apostles. I don't really think we need to retread no, that. Yeah. Go listen to the, Acts episode, to the Acts episode. It's really like the same problem yeah, just, coming just know up that, here. Just know that Paul like just says, don't be obnoxious. Don't distract people. Don't be stupid. Um, and being part of the body of Christ means that all of us are going to have different gifts. We yeah. should all celebrate them, and the greatest of these gifts anyway is love. So if you have the gift of tongues, but you're kind of a jerk, like, you missed the point. That's, that's right. That's the problem. And then we get to the climax of the letter here. Well, um, wait, wait, I want to... Oh, well, we're backtracking? Um, no, we can do that and then go back. Let's do, the, have, cli- let's do the climax. You have three and a half minutes. <laughs> okay, so the climax of the whole thing... <laughs> It is this beautiful section on the resurrection, which really holds everything together. Uh, Martin Luther errantly said that justification was the article by, by which the church stands or falls. I think St. Paul would be like, uh, no, no, it's false. the resurrection. Yeah, pal. that's right. Yeah. If Christ is not raised, your faith is worthless and we've all been wasting our time, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So Jesus's own resurrection is the guarantor, the down payment, the so, first fruits of this greater harvest of resurrections that we should hope all to experience at the end yeah. of the age. So arguably there was... Uh, maybe a branch of the Sadducee, Sadducean party. I don't know how you say that. 
um, that are potentially uh, denied the resurrection here, right? Because Paul's bringing this up. Sadducees, for a yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. right. Because um, so Sadducees, as you remember, um, they don't believe in the resurrection of the body. They only have the first five books of the Torah, so um, they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in demons, really. Um, so. They were sad, you see. Um, <laughs> I feel like everybody... Zing! Yeah, that's right. Um, but anyway, potentially, arguably, there was no small number of Corinthians who started to deny the resurrection of, of Jesus. And Paul, being Paul, was like, dude, I saw him. Literally saw him. <laughs> yeah. He knocked me off my horse, bro. Yeah. No, the resurrection chapter is is delightful. Uh, arguably just as famous as chapter 13 on love, the one that's read at weddings all the time. That's right. Uh, the closing, he's getting collections for his, uh, for his journeys elsewhere to help visit poor churches throughout the provinces. And, uh, okay, so let's go back in time here. And focus <laughs> we have time. On, we did good. We did good. Let's <laughs> focus on uh, chapter 14. So sure. I don't know how active. Are you on Twitter? No, dude. Uh, Twitter can be a dark, dark place. But, um, <laughs> uh, one of the things that I think mainline Protestants like to argue about a lot on Twitter is like they're always pitting this kind of like dogmatic, rigid, authoritarian St. Paul against a kind of like hippie, Woodstock, free love Jesus kind of a yeah, thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you've heard this kind of thing before. Yeah. And one of their proof texts is this f- bit in uh, 1 Corinthians here, chapter 14, where St. Paul says that women ought to, women ought to be silent in the church. Um, well, clearly that means they shouldn't talk at all. Right. Like as soon as you enter the narthex, ladies, sorry. That's Zip it. it. That's, that's all That's What if all we just like get. stop the podcast right there? Like <laughs> no, but uh, I think if you read the verse in isolation, like I guess you, you could be confused, but it's part of this bigger section here. So earlier in chapters, uh, in chapter 11 and verses 5 and 13, these all assume that the proper context for a woman to be prophesying in is one in which she covers her head. Sure. So it doesn't make any sense for Paul to just a couple chapters later be like, oh, just kidding. I actually meant you should never talk at all. Right, because Phoebe arguably was somebody who spoke in the church. Right? Yeah, so yeah. She this, read the letter of St. Paul in a church, right? So, yes, right, um, right, right. Yeah. So unless St. Paul just got totally schizophrenic in the space of two or three chapters here, I think what most scholars are led to conclude is that this was an issue of honor and shame. Right. So if, uh, if somebody's prophesying in the church and somebody's wife goes, that guy sucks, that prophecy was wrong and dumb, um, which apparently I guess the Corinthians had a bit of a reputation yeah, for. because some slander, some gossip. Paul, and, Paul yeah. didn't offer this advice elsewhere. No, literally so, only here. Yep. So the issue of being silent here is about this specific problem. And there might and, have been a specific group of women, yeah. like, or woman. Like, right. so, I mean, it's, it's impossible to know, but we have to remember that Paul is addressing very specific questions still here. Um, so arguably, the, one of the questions might be, hey, when this happens, so-and-so keeps doing X, Y, or Z. And Paul's like, all right, dude, like, yeah, and, and the, the one reason why we know that is because he goes on to say, let them ask their husbands at home. Uh, so the, the, a lot of commentators, commentators will get into the reasons why that happens. Yeah. But Paul overall is content to say, if a cultural custom is not a violation of the gospel, if it doesn't make you like non-Christian to do it, it's neither here nor like St. Right. Paul, for, for all the bad rap St. Paul gets for being sort of rigid and authoritarian, he's really almost loosey-goosey in 1 Corinthians. He's yeah. like, look... Idol meat, not a big deal. Right. Um, women talking in church, eh, it's a big deal sometimes. Yeah. Well, uh, it's, it's one of those things. That, I mean, this is kind of where the church also gets her approach of incorporating different elements of culture into the liturgy and to 
into the church. Enculturation, baby. Yeah, um, it's one of those things where you have this chain of non-denominational Protestant peeps who are like, we can't celebrate Christmas because it's on the... The Puritans, pa- yeah, right? The pa- yeah, the pagan holiday, even today. Yeah. Like, like on, and I, I don't follow any of these people, apparently Viva does because she thinks they're funny. Um, but <laughs> um, like, you can't do Christmas trees and Advent wreaths because they're pagan or blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, it's just like, no, it's like, first off, it's a tree. Um, so calm down. Keep um, complaining and we'll make Toyota-thon a Christian yeah, holiday. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so the church is never afraid of using what is good, true, and beautiful um, and, and, and bringing Christ uh, to light through those things. And, Saint, and we learn from St. Paul, right? St. Paul is also not afraid of like cultural customs that, you know, it's like, like Ryan said, as long as they're not directly opposed to the gospel of Christ. Um, Bring them on in. That's right. They can be good. If they're good, true, and beautiful, go for it. Further reading recommendations for folks interested in the letter to the Corinthians. Uh, I have one for you here. Uh, Kiampa and Rosner's commentary in the Pillar series. This is by far and away. Uh, I've, I've done a. Uh, this is not to. This is not an appeal to authority, but I have. Like, <laughs> I have preached and and taught of, uh, through issues in First Corinthians a number of times, and by far the most useful commentary for me was Kiampa and Rosner's in the Pillar series. If you want to check that one out. Yeah, uh, I definitely, I'm not going to lie, I dive way deeper into 2 Corinthians than 1 Corinthians. Oh, is that so? I have, so? A, I have a commentary for next week. Not for, I mean, for this one, once again, Ignatius Catholic Study Bible, New Testament, pretty bomb. Um, but next week you have a favorite, really a favorite one that you want. Yeah, I really so. love I think it's super, super profound. Um, Y'all just have to tune in that's next right, week to see what that one's all about. 1 Corinthians, he's addressing problems, kind of smashes some heads. 2 Corinthians... Uh, not so much, there's some stuff he's addressing, obviously, but I would argue that it's a bit more theologically deep because arguably the, the Corinthians are more mature in their faith at that point. So he can talk, talk about a little bit more deification. Bum, bum, bum. Well, uh, you ever read First Clement? Uh, dude, a long time ago. A lot of these problems, unfortunately, lasted for decades in the uh, Corinthian dang. church. <laughs> dang, dog, dang. Especially the partisanship. Clement was like, remember when Paul told you 50 years ago, you clowns, <laughs> to stop to stop doing that? Look, look what happens. Look, You're look. still doing it. I kind of wish First Clement would have been included in the Bible, but, you know, it's it's fine. You should read First Clement. I read it in college, way back in the day. It's anyway, a fun, it's a fun time. We should probably wrap it up. But anyway... Thanks, everybody, for joining us this week on Catholics with Bibles. My name is Chase Cross. I'm Ryan Farewell, brethren, and sistren. I I thought you were about to say I'm Ryan Farewell. I'm like, that's not your last name. Um, (laughs) I I do hope you all farewell, wherever you are. (laughs) And we'll see you next time on Catholics with Bibles. God bless everybody. All right, everybody. Thank you once again for joining us on Catholics with Bibles. Uh, this week we did First Corinthians. Next week we're doing Second Corinthians. Um, as always, uh, it's a big favor to us if you give us a review on whatever you're listening to, Spotify, iTunes, whatever it might be, um, and then share with your family and friends. Spread the word on Catholics with Bibles, and we'll see you next time, guys. God bless.